We can say Happy New Year proper now. Happy New Year, Peter. We can properly. We're not. We're, yes, Happy New Year. We're actually recording this in real time. In. Uh, in, in during, you know, we're actually on in the in the year that we're we're actually recording in, not pre-recording or anything. We are. Um, yeah. How you doing? How's how's the year been for you so far? It's only a couple of weeks in. We're recording this on uh, oh Monday the thirteenth, a little bit later than usual because um, we couldn't get Friday the thirteenth because you know that would be bad luck. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's been full on already. It's been um, a, a busy start of the year. I feel revitalised and re-energised and enthused and ready to get back to work after the Christmas break, which is never really that much of a break. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite um, raring to go. What, what about you? Good. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sort of easing my way back into it a little, little bit more gradually. Uh, I, we chatted a little bit about this last time, although obviously at the time when we were recording then, I hadn't actually done the deed but i i'm as we chatted about i, I don't drink in january i do dry january i think we're trying to work this out actually i think it's my 35th or 36th it might be 37th dry january so so before the hashtag dry january or, or before any hashtags probably and uh, this year i decided to cut out tea and coffee as well and that has been that was that was interesting. We we chatted a little bit about it last time when you accidentally were force fed some decaffeinated coffee instead of the the full fat stuff. Yeah, and it it was it was absolutely brutal. Um, I don't want to make light of people who have migraines, migraines, because I know my dad had them uh, when I was a kid, and my sons had them a little bit. But the sort of headaches I was getting from caffeine deficiency were absolutely brutal they were they were right up there on the uh, on the migraine scale they weren't quite the same as my dad had they were you know, proper fully dysfunctional had to lie down in a dark room kind of migraines um uh, and sympathy for to anybody who gets those because they're absolutely horrific but i i wasn't comfortable driving with these i uh, i you know it, it was it, it, it was tough it's it it's tough. absolutely crazy, isn't it? It just it hits so quickly, which was yes. the most bizarre thing. And 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 as I say, I I got them, and I didn't even know that I was drinking decaffeinated uh, yeah, coffee. Yeah, you thought you were just coming down. So or it's not psychosomatic. It, it's absolutely a real thing. Um, oh, absolutely. And um, uh, it, yeah, it, it, did you manage to stay off the caffeine or? Yes, I've I've toughed it out. I I completely off for a week. I've had two cups of tea uh, last week. I had one one over the weekend. Like decaf tea and no, just ordinary tea. Oh, okay, just just just. Uh, I mean, it's a little grey. There's you know, it's just coloured water really. Uh, uh, but no coffee, and uh, I've tried some decaffeinated coffee substitute, which is okay. It's a bit like the the near beer, you know. It's if there's nothing else, yeah, <laughs> put yeah. up with it. But uh, yes, uh, so so I'm I'm going to stay off coffee anyway for the rest of the month, and uh, I'll have the occasional cup of tea. But I have a a very healthy and rather delicious cup of uh, peppermint tea with us at the moment, which stays hot forever because it's just boiling water. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the way to go. Honestly, I couldn't stick it out for any longer than about two days giving up caffeine it was uh, mm. sod this for a laugh I, I was straight back on the coffee yeah well I, I got a, I posted a couple of little things on Twitter and Instagram about it and there were a couple of questions like well you know why why put yourself through it why give up something that you enjoy and the truth is I'm doing it for the same reason that I stopped drinking for a, I started doing a dry January because 
you know, you sit down and chatting with somebody, you actually can't remember a day when you didn't have a drink last. Yeah, yeah. And you think, okay, it's time, time to just do a quick reset. And in fact, I, at the time that I was doing this, and I was only, I think I was 22 or 23, I was working for, with somebody, and she said that her husband reckons that you can do whatever you like during the year, but cut everything out in January mm-hmm. just, to, just to reset the clock. So uh, whenever that was back then, I started doing that. And the same with, with, the, with the coffee, really, because I can't remember the last time I didn't have two or three or four or more cups of coffee in a day. So, you know, let's, let's kind of and, – and think about it another way. If you were – if somebody came to you and said, hey, look, I'm taking this stuff – and every time I, I try to stop taking it, I get these really bad headaches and I get the shakes and I feel really tired. You'd say, oh, mate, you've got a problem, whatever it is, whether it's whatever substance it is, alcohol, drugs, whatever, you need to stop that. You know, you need to cut back on that. And that's basically what, what the coffee was doing. Oh, so, absolutely. We'll, we'll see. I, I don't feel particularly any better for it, as, as always, <laughs> these things that are supposed to make you, make, uh, are supposed to be good for you. I don't feel particularly good on it, but um, I, you know, there we are. Let's let's go for a month without and see how I feel at the end of that. A month without, and it's a perfect start to a year as well. So, on on that note... So, on that note, uh, welcome back to the Measuring Up podcast, the year's first, and we like to think favourite weekly commercial tools and timber talk show with a healthy helping of 21st century small business banter and a side order of social media. I'm Peter Millard, and as well as running a virtual 10-minute workshop on YouTube, I also run a small but far from perfectly formed workshop in the no man's land of west london and i'm andy mcclellan and i run the goffith handyman youtube channel and a bunch of other youtube channels that i seem to be collecting over time and yeah it's the start of a whole new year isn't it it's whole just new this decade even. yeah whole, yeah a whole new decade yeah exciting times we're, we're not quite there with hoverboards and things like that but we've we've had a lot of other Advancements we have. I mean, as a, I mean, we we live in extraordinary times. There, there's all manner of things that we have now that certainly I didn't have. Uh, they were they were on tomorrow, a popular television program in the UK called Tomorrow's World uh, in the seventies. They they were predicting all kinds of things of the future, uh, and there was there's a little YouTube clip doing the rounds of one where they predicted the house of 2020, which would have all kinds of amazing things. It wouldn't have curtains. It would have glass that. You know, the windows would change from a wall to a yeah, yeah. glass to a blind to a, a picture of, you know, whatever. So, yeah, fascinating. We, we do live in, in extraordinary times. As always, mankind managed to, to screw things up to a certain extent. But um, for the vast majority of us, we keep on keeping on. And uh, I think we're doing all right. Uh, tell me, did I, did I see, uh, was it perhaps a drone shot in your most recent... Uh, Video. There was. There, there was. Yes. Oh, so you got it up and running then. That's. that's I, I got it up. I've only had it out once. Um, I've only. I just haven't had time. Um, yeah. But yes, I'm, I managed to drive out of the um, authorization zone where I'm where I'm in at the minute. Which I must admit, I haven't had a chance to even because they've released a new firmware update for it, which I've put on the drone, and they've released a new app which apparently resolves this whole no-fly zone issue. But okay. um, I haven't had a chance to try it yet because the whole point is that you should be able to, if nothing else, at least fly it indoors. There's no laws to say you can't fly a drone indoors or in like a factory unit or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I can't even 
do that with it at the at the minute because I'm I'm too close to the airport and um so I, I still need to try and see whether or not that that works but I, d- I drove a little bit just down the road and um, yeah and how how does it fly how's she fly awesome yeah brilliant um I've, I mean I've I've flown like the little toy drones yeah, yeah, before yeah. and I, I struggled controlling those they're, they're so hard to control especially the tiny little ones because yes the slightest gust of wind that catches it and it it's away yeah, somebody sneezes and it's into the window yeah yeah but obviously this is intelligent to a degree and it'll it'll hover and it'll it'll keep its position regardless of wind and all that sort of thing and and yeah. there's some very clever technologies in it I, i've watched um we'll include a link in the in the show notes to this but there was one guy he decided to do a uh, a range check on it. Bear in mind, this is a drone the size of a bag of crisps. You know, it, it it's yeah. tiny and um, perfectly stable. And about the same weight as a bag of crisps yeah, as well, isn't it? Yeah, 249 grams. It's like crazily yeah. light, crazily small, amazing video footage. I don't want this to turn into an advert for DJI, but, you know, if you do a bit well, search, Up until now, we hadn't mentioned the name, but I know, hey, whatever. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's going to be... Um, it, it's talked about as being the biggest leap in drone technology in recent years because it it's come down in price probably by what two at least two maybe threefold from from its nearest competitor it's under all the the CAA limits for registration and all that sort yeah. of thing um and for such a small drone i mean i've seen the big drones where you can fly them miles and miles and obviously you're supposed to always have have them in sight but of course you can't see it i mean it it, mm. it only has to be more than about 50 meters away and you can't see it anymore but you're, yeah. you're controlling it all from your phone and whatnot and um i've seen the big ones where th- they can literally go off for miles you know you could yeah. you can fly it for miles and and do all sorts of shots being nowhere near it and someone uh on youtube did a test uh, somewhere in america i think on the little uh, Mavic Mini to see how far they could get it um, uh, to do a range check on it, basically. Yeah. And they managed to get it. Bear in mind, you can't see it. Once it's more than about 50, 100 metres away or something like that, they got it three miles away. Three miles and still controllable. And still perfectly controllable, still sending video back, because it records video locally, but it'll also stream video back to your mobile phone as a backup copy, so it, it'll record high-quality video up to, I think, 2.7K. Right. So it'll record up to 2.7K locally, and then it'll also stream back a lower-resolution video, which is still perfectly respectable. Yeah. Um, so it was still streaming back video. It was still perfectly controllable, and it could have gone further, but he went as far... He took it to having 50% battery life right? so that it had enough battery to get back. Come back, back yeah, yeah. I'll not spoil the video. No. well, we'll I, we'll... I was on the edge of my seat <laughs> watching whether or not this drone would actually make it back, and I'll let you watch the video and, and see whether or not the drone did actually make it back after it had gone off for three miles, and it was just, that—that that is insane. Incredible. I mean, but no loss of control or anything like that, and this is tiny tiny it's only got the equivalent of two double a batteries in it wow so yeah it's amazing Mad. yeah I, I was having a quick look at the 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 drone no fly zones if you just google them we'll, we'll pop a, a link to a map in the show notes but if you just 
just Google it. You can, you can find them quite easily. And uh, in London, there, there are a surprising number. Obviously, we've got Heathrow out to the west, which is a, a big old block of, uh, uh, of no-fly. But, of course, much more central, we've got Battersea Heliport as well, which is not far away. Yeah. And then because of the, the range of the no-fly zone around the airports, uh, we've got Northolt as well, which is a military base, but also used as, for, uh, as a closer, more discreet uh, landing spot for celebs and people who want to get into London. Uh, we've got Denham, which is a little flying club a little bit further out. We've got Bushy, a little bit further to the north, and then a little bit further west, there's uh, White Waltham out in Windsor. I, I saw one out in Windsor, and I thought it was uh, somebody who lived out there. <clears throat> Might have a, a bit of influence, but no, it wasn't <laughs> that. There's a, a flying club out there, and there's one. Uh, there's Booker out on the A40 by High Wickham. So there's an awful lot around, and when you start looking... Uh, you know, fairly what you think of as fairly small flying clubs. They actually have, with the runways and everything, they, and because you have this no-fly zone extending around them, it covers quite a lot of area. And certainly between Heathrow, uh, Northolt and Denham, the the spheres of no-fly almost overlap. Not quite. It's like a, yeah. a bad Venn diagram. But certainly uh, between Denham and Northolt, they're, they're almost touching. So, yeah, it's, uh, you've got to be very careful. It's crazy. Honestly, talk about sledgehammer to crack a nut. I mean, yeah. uh, in Newcastle, the no-fly zone around the airport here is pretty much the size of the entire of Newcastle, but moved up a little bit because of where the runway is effectively. But it's a huge area. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because it extends out, like, I think it's four kilometres either side of the runway. I mean, four kilometres... So, obviously, you're not going to get planes flying left or right of the runway because they, they, they land on the runway. Yes. They're not going to fly left or right of the runway unless there's some sort of major problem. Yeah, they're not going to come in. Coming in on approach sideways. It's a really short runway, but look how wide yeah, it is. Yeah. But to knock out four <laughs> kilometres either side of the runway, I can understand why the knockout space in front and behind the runway, because it's where the planes are taking off a landing. I totally get that. But to knock out entire sections of communities four four kilometers either side to the point that technically you can't even fly a child's little radio controlled helicopter in your back garden or something yeah that that is technically now against the law i just think that's crazily overkill i mean it, it just seems that but uh, this was all going through and that uh, you know tinfoil tinfoil hat on and all that sort of thing but yeah i'm still not 100 100 percent convinced of the happenings around gatwick that all happened just around the time that this legislation all went through yes um call me a cynic but uh, call me yeah, a cynic, you, you but do we're, wonder don't you yeah was someone trying to prove a point just to get this through i i, I don't know but it, it does seem crazily overkill but We'll see. You should have the right to unlock the plane uh, to fly indoors, in in even if you are in an authorization zone. You then you do then have a red zone, which is directly kind of above the runway, which obviously you're not going to be flying. Yeah, you deserve what you get if you're going to fly yeah, of course, a, if, yeah. a drone directly above the runway. But that that's a bit different to housing estate in suburbia four kilometres away, but... Uh, That's right. Well, yeah. the range of these drones, I believe some of them can go three miles, you know? Three miles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could technically fly it from here straight over to the control tower and like, yeah, well... Good stuff. We've got some good follow-up from uh, our lovely listeners this week. We've got one from, from uh, Fish, uh, Fish Carpentry and Joinery. Uh, Fish says, hey guys, uh, 
being new to this podcast, Malaki, who says he was just wondering how he gets the Patreon shows to show up in the Google podcast lists. Uh, he says they can see them on the Patreon player, but they but can they be seen or heard on Google? Patreon doesn't play in his van, he says as an app. Um, I, I do know the answer to that one, and unfortunately, no. Uh, sadly, Google Podcasts is an app that doesn't support authentication, so it won't work with the RSS feed. Uh, we put a link in the show notes uh, a few weeks back, and we'll put another one in, in this one, to a Patreon page that details the podcast apps that will and won't work with the RSS feed. Uh, they do have to have this uh, authentication thing for them to work happily, I understand. So we'll we'll pop a link in the in the show notes there. But no, unfortunately, uh, you're gonna have to pick a different app. Yeah, basically, if you just use a common or garden app that's not owned by one of the big players, you'll probably be fine. It's when you start trying to use things like Spotify and and Google and, and stuff like that to play the podcast that you're probably more likely to run into problems. Most just if you just search for podcast app, most. Uh, you know, standard podcast app, uh, podcast apps that you can just download will work absolutely fine with an RSS link. Um, but yeah, some of these bigger players, Google is is a weird one anyway. Anyway, because um, I could never get it to work through Google Home and trying to get podcasts to work through um, oh, right. the the whole you know a. Play a podcast. Oh, so I shouldn't have said that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I should have bleeped that out. Everybody's gone. No, I'll bleep that out. But you know, what I mean, um, it just came up with an error on mine saying podcasts aren't available in your country at the minute, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> like, something oh, down right, like okay. that. Fairly sure they are. Maybe that. Maybe it works now. But um, the last time I tried it, which was about six months ago, it, it it didn't work through the whole speaking to your phone and asking it to play a podcast thing. Mm. Um, but yeah. yeah, strange. I know from my side of things, the Apple Podcasts app does work with an RSS feed. Uh, there's one called Overcast, Will, and Pocket Casts as well, which is cross-platform. Works fine with it. So uh, uh, there will be an app uh, for you to do that. And uh, best of luck while getting that sorted. Uh, Indeed. Of course, if you have, uh, if you've got any questions or any queries about how to play the podcast or how uh, where to listen to it, uh, you can contact us uh, or post feedback at Measuring Up PC on Twitter, uh, Instagram at Measuring Up Podcast, or get in touch via the contact form at measuringuppodcast.com website, or email the show directly at contact at measuringuppodcast.com. Uh, we got another one from. Um, sorry, Andy, did you hear this? No, no, I, I was just going to say, did you post um, a thing on our Patreon on how to do the RSS? I didn't, I haven't yet. Oh, no. you haven't? Okay, that's fine. I wasn't sure if you had or not, but um, no, I haven't yet. It, it turns out it's in I'll, the I'll it it's in the membership tab. I told you to go at the wrong place on Instagram because it looks different for for me as a creator. But if you go onto the um, memberships tab on Patreon, you'll find the RSS link in there. Mm. Go on, sorry. Mm, sorry. We got a, a good uh, bit of feedback from Simon's Woodshop via Instagram. Um, uh, Simon says, great. Simon says, Simon says, great podcast as always. Read the impact driver discussion. Great to hear you both agreeing to disagree. Have we agreed to disagree? I'm not sure about that. I think, I think it may come to blows later on. <laughs> a healthy, healthy debate from both sides of the, of the viewpoint. Simon says, I own both uh, Impact and Drill Driver from Makita and was pretty conscious of the extra noise and impact made when working outside with neighbours in their gardens also. Our four-year-old son at the time preferred it when he used the Drill Driver. Hey, ho, Sir Simon, horses for courses and all that. Uh, very true. I say I, I, I have a number of people with the hashtag Team Peter uh, <laughs> on, uh, on Twitter uh, siding with me uh, on the uh, 
impact driver versus drill driver debate, but whatever works for you. Uh, use use whatever you like, you know, whatever's good. Team Peter, is this a real thing? I don't know. I haven't been on. I haven't been on Twitter for best part of two months. Team Peter, this is a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, <laughs> there's one post with Team Peter in it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm still on my uh, Twitter amnesty, so uh, yeah, I, fair I, enough. I, I do vaguely intend on going back on Twitter at some point, but uh, at, at the minute. Uh, I'm quite enjoying yeah. the break from it. Yeah, we had a little, there's a little mini discussion going on this morning, actually. Uh, somebody was asking about why people cross post, why, why post things you've posted on Instagram to Twitter when you don't see the picture. Because that's, if you, if you use the, the Instagram app to do that, it doesn't show the picture. Uh, I, I, again, we've chatted a little bit about this, but I, 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 I'm not really a general Twitter user on my personal account. I think I said last time we've got a few people that I chat with uh, and it's a good sort of sounding board for any time you have a problem or you hit issues. Uh, but for Instagram, it's much more about Instagram for me is much more about promoting the YouTube side of things. And obviously with the you know, two channels and the podcast, it's convenient to cross post from Instagram to Twitter. If that's all you're trying to use it for. Um, somebody was saying that they use Instagram more as a portfolio site for their work and Twitter as a networking between guys like himself in the trade and, and uh, companies. Whereas, yeah, I mean, I guess that's how I use Twitter as well. But for Instagram, it's much more, you know, to, to promote the to promote the uh, the YouTube stuff and, and that side of things. And uh, on uh, coming back to the whole Instagram thing, um from because I'm taking a break from Instagram as well, and, yeah. and in fact, the Instagram break kind of started before the Twitter break. It's just I do still post the odd thing on Instagram. It's just I've massively ramped it down um, because of all the the content theft thing that all originated from this gate hinge, your swinging, swinging gate, gate thing, yeah. which just like stirred up a hornet's nest of of stuff, and uh, it. I continue to get messages almost every day, sometimes several a day, of more and more scammy pyramid uh, yeah. MLM schemes who are using my video as a way of promoting their scammy websites. And uh, you just constantly see this come through. And, and um, again, we'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, Steve Ramsey did a really good video Years ago, it took some digging to find this video, but I will include a link because it's worth watching. He did some quite extensive investigation of these scams. Um, it, it's all surrounding things like, um, oh, I think it's, oh, I'll not say the name of it. <laughs> I don't want to get us in trouble. Um, we'll include a link to Steve's video and you can look into it. But it's all these, it looks like authentic companies who are selling woodworking plans with a picture of an 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 old man holding his like uh, like chisels and planes and things, and it's like, oh well, I can be trusted and yes. buy my woodworking plans for however much. And it is just a giant MLM yeah. pyramid scheme, basically. It, it it's an absolute scam. The person whose picture is being used is just a, a stock, yeah, stock image picture, a stock image. And then it goes under numerous different names with numerous different pictures. Yeah. They're all, they're all stock images. And, and as I say, Steve Ramsey from uh, woodworking for me immortals did a, a really interesting series of videos about this, which I, I 
finally found um, a couple of weeks ago and I was watching it and it was like, yep, that that's them who are now using yeah. my my content to promote their, their stuff. And there's, there's just yeah. very, very little I can do about it, but it, it's every time it pops up, you know, you take a screenshot of it and at some point I'll report them all to... To Instagram, you know, yeah. it gets onto the <laughs> whole fall into a black hole of oblivion. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have had situations where um, the the accounts of these people have been shut down, but they just set up a new account, and yeah. it's it, they've suddenly got this new scammy account, and unfortunately, people follow them because people don't realise that it, it's a scam, it's, it's and right. they end up with another two million users completely unaware and and. They're making money off the back of this, sadly, which uh, yeah. the more people who report them, the better, the more people who are aware of it. Just don't buy woodworking plans from scammy sites. If you're going to buy woodworking plans, buy them from the people who wrote the plans. Yeah, that That is the best bet, because otherwise you can almost guarantee they've been ripped off. Yeah, and any, any site that has 1,001 woodworking plans available for download... Yeah, that's that's pretty sure they didn't write every one of those. Yeah, yeah exactly. And as I say, it, it's it's a pyramid type scheme where they're selling the plans for like seventy quid a set or whatever. But each person who recommends it gets like a thirty five pound kickback or something. It's quite a high kickback. So if you imagine, yeah. you don't have to be doing many of these kickbacks to to be making some money off the back of it. Yeah, if you've sure. got an Instagram account with two million followers. And you're making thirty-five quid back through this pyramid scheme every time someone buys these scammy sets of plans. Um, you, you can see why people do it. I'm just amazed it hasn't been shut down, but I, I would imagine yeah, it's, well, it's, it's difficult yeah. to track these people down. And I suppose so. I suppose uh, so. Anyway, um, we had a thing about um, Michael got in touch about EVs, electric vehicles yeah. of the future. Possibly, what seems to be missing is the answer to the question. Where is the electricity coming from? As a nation, we have barely enough capacity for our current electrical needs, so a surge on demand for electrical capacity for electric vehicles will mean the lights going out elsewhere. In my humble opinion, all these electric vehicles to only be charged overnight is not going to happen. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. Again, you know, I know from my personal experience getting these lamppost chargers in the street uh, part of the capacity comes from from switching out from uh, more or uh, sorry less uh, efficient whatever they were sodium lamps or, or street lamps uh, to thoroughly modern LEDs. They lose a, they use a lot less energy, so there's more capacity from from that side of things. But uh, on a general uh, basis, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very valid point. I mean, I'm always mm. frustrated by how much we don't utilise energy that already exists. I think we've briefly talked about, like, tidal power and and various other, you know. Mm. There's so many things that we could do, Um, obviously nuclear and all that sort of thing. Everyone has their opinions on nuclear, but at the end of the day, there is no more efficient way of generating power on a huge scale than than nuclear at the minute. Absolutely. As long as it's not in my back garden. Exactly. Um, But there must be better solutions for that, you know. I don't know, put them out at sea or something. (laughs) And and as I say, more... um, I think we're already past the 50% point for using renewables in the UK. So I think there must be huge 
extra scope for the renewable side of things. To me, it just seems that we're we're in our infancy on that side of things. And if we're already past fifty percent, then we're doing all right. Yes. Um, I don't think it's so much a question of the that the electricity isn't there or the means for generating aren't there. It just needs to be the will to to get the mechanisms in place. And um, tidal, to me, just seems like a, a huge mistrick. But I, I think it is happening. I think it just takes a long mm. time. Maybe by the time we have that many EVs on the road, we'll have all of these renewables yeah. in place. I, I don't know an, enough about the rollout of how long it's going to take no i mean the 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 concern of course is that they don't want to build a network of uh, a charging network for electrical cars that then becomes redundant yeah and um, becomes obsolete you know and becomes ob- uh, absolutely you know, exactly. they, they, if they change to charging technology or or whatever they, they do have to be very careful mm. uh, as you say they can't just roll out an entire country's worth of this tech on a whim that it's going to do the job because we don't really know yet. I mean, battery technology is changing on a you know daily basis at the minute. And yeah. um, I've already seen the charging set. I don't know if I mentioned that they'd put some charging stations just down the road from me at oh, yeah. there's like a little services um, thing on the A1, not, not far from where I live. And uh, they'd put in a whole bunch of brand new charging stations there they were never con- never commissioned. They sat there for six months, and now they've gone. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know why. That's right. Um, but the the parking spaces are still there, all marked out as electric charging parking spaces. Uh, but the, the physical things that you would plug into yeah. are, have va- vanished. Um, and I don't know, maybe... Maybe maybe somebody forgot to join up the wires. Possibly. Or maybe someone... <laughs> they put, the, maybe someone put just, the stations there. Oh, no, we need a feed for that. Now. Maybe someone just nicked them. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> or, or maybe it is a case that, you know, it's obsolete and they've decided this isn't the right thing to put out. We'll wait until yeah. version 2 is ready and then we'll we'll roll that out. I, I don't know. I, doubtless yeah. we'll find out. Um, I must apologise in advance if my phone goes... Um, I'm going to have to answer it because okay. um, we we are literally on the verge of either buying a house or selling a house or oh, both. How so, exciting. Um, would, I don't know. Maybe nothing will happen, but I'm literally waiting on the phone call at the minute. So, um, uh, uh, Of course, feel free to you know ruin our podcast with your stupid house moves. You know? I know. <laughs> so I, I do apologise in advance if, if that happens, but I will definitely have, have to take that call. Um, suddenly things have sprung into life after four months of nothing. Good. I was going to well, – I almost didn't like to ask, but yeah, good. Uh, yeah, things have – instantly sprung into life um we we put the house on through a new agent and before it's even on the market we've we've had two viewings and it's not even advertised yet good and there's a house that we're looking at that we're very very interested in it ticks all the boxes and uh uh, the problem is is whether or not we can sell this house quickly enough to buy the house that we've we've found and the whole very complicated slide puzzle that i'm now going to have to, to make everything work, there's a reasonable chance that we might at one point end up with three houses because <laughs> we might not have sold this one in time. Yeah. We'll have the other house and we're probably going to be moving into a rental yeah. until we've got the new house um, livable in because the place that we found is um, 
a renovation, like the full works. It would probably yeah. be easier to just build a new house from scratch. Right. But it ticks all the boxes on exactly what we're looking for. And I am so excited I could wet myself, <laughs> but I just, we can't do anything. It's killing us. It's absolutely yeah. killing us. I am itching to get going on this project. And I've already started planning out in my head exactly what I'm going to be doing and what order we're going to be doing stuff in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been researching storage containers and whether or not I can temporarily move my entire workshop into a storage container. Not, mm-hmm. It wouldn't be a functional workshop, but at least it would get that out of the yes, property. out of the way. Because that's going to be a big job to dismantle all that. Yeah, I'll bet. So if I can get that done in advance, move everything into a storage container and then we've only got the actual house move to worry about, and then depending whether or not we go into furnished or unfurnished um, rental temporarily, mm. um, then we can work out what we do with our furniture, whether or not we bring it with us, or that goes into storage as well. And it's all these yeah. like overlaps, and then it's like... Oh, all the balls are in the air. Yeah. God. And then it's like, has all these implications on stamp duty and capital gains tax, yes. and then because technically you're owning two properties at the same time, and then you have to put in things to claim back taxes that you don't technically have to pay, but because in in the UK, if you own more than one property, you get heavily taxed on that. But you are allowed an overlap for the purposes of moving house, which yeah. is is fine. I think it's quite a it's like a three year overlap or something. Right. It's quite a, it's quite a long overlap time. Um, don't hold me to that. It, and mm, it, 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 it might be different for. There's the stamp duty side, and then there's the capital gains tax side, um, and you have to take both of those into into account, and probably yeah. other things as well. Uh, anyway, it's all very complicated. Sounds I'm it. Very excited, and I'm just waiting on that phone call. Ah, brilliant. Well, you, but you must take that when it comes in, obviously. Yeah. Uh, hasn't rang yet. Hasn't rang yet. We, I, uh, do you want to check again, just in case? I do well. It, the yeah. ringer's on. I, I'll be going back with something. Did I leave the ringer on? I can't remember. <laughs> It's over the other side of the room, so it doesn't interfere with the mics. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll be darting up and falling out of my chair when that <laughs> when, yeah. when it goes. So yeah, so potentially there is finally some movement there because I've been in this in this limbo. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad glad to hear that. I'm sure I'm sure everybody is because that's uh, that was a bit of a headache when you after you've reached the decision to to do that. Yeah. To not to be able to move it forwards just because of timing and political nonsense that was going on and all the rest of it. And I've I've never had that um, before where we've moved a lot over the years. I think I've I've mentioned we've we've moved house a lot and we've never had it where we've put a house on the market and just nothing's happened. Um and that that was a bit of an unknown to me. Every, every time we've tried to sell a house in the past it's just sold pretty quickly yeah. like within a matter of weeks really before we'd had an offer and it's like right then the whole process starts down the, the the getting the solicitors involved and all that sort of thing. But in terms of actually getting an offer, mm. it's always been pretty quick. So I've never had this situation before where you're just sitting there and sitting there and, oh, I'm not the most patient of people and I, I didn't didn't handle that very well. But uh, mm. we shall see. We shall see. Yeah, indeed. So getting back to work after a, a longer break like Christmas or any any holiday. Do you have a, a process where you sort of mentally get yourself back into gear, or now are you certainly and me to a, to a large extent we're sort of working differently to how we used to? 
Um, do, you, do you have any sort of a, a process to get you back into the swing of work or um, you just throw yourself back in? I very much have a January routine that's very similar from year to year. Okay. Um, and at the start of the year, um, I, I get all of the admin stuff caught up on because you've always got that bit of a lull at the beginning of January and potentially you can get mm. a bit of this done over the Christmas holidays if you've got time. Um, but um, I like to get everything admin caught up on. Um, so one of the first things that I do is I do a full backup of everything I've done the previous year, like a snapshot image backup so that I can absolute worst case scenario. I've got a snapshot point in time that I can roll back to. Um, and, uh, that takes a while because it means that you've got to get everything, you know, every photo downloaded off phones, every video, every, mm. everything just in one place. Back, and that's, that's absolutely up. everything then. Uh, kind of I back up videos in a slightly different way because right. that takes up so much space. So they, they have a separate process for backing up, but this is kind of everything else, everything, even podcast episodes, everything, right. uh, everything generated in that year in, in 2019, mm. I do a snapshot image. Uh, obviously I'm backing it up kind of incrementally through the year. Yes. But to restore that back to a single snapshot point in time, and um, you know, I, I've been there with hard drive failures where you you lose a lot of data and you need to get back up and running very quickly. And trying to do that from online backups and every you know you couldn't do it. You would be wait, waiting months to get your data back. Yeah. Um, so I do like to get it to a point where it's like all I need to do is a single restore from hard drive. Anything else I can get incrementally back from the cloud or wherever. But at least yeah. I've got a local copy of everything that I can get back pretty quickly. Um, so that that's kind of one of my first things I do. Uh, tax returns, obviously, getting getting yeah. that all done. And what I like to do as well, oh, going to sound ridiculously swatty with tax returns here, but <laughs> not only do I get my tax return done for that's due, but I also try to get completely caught up on the tax return for the following year right. to date if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah. everything tax-wise is up to date for the previous tax year and the current tax year up until that point. So it basically means I've only got four months of work to do yeah. to get that tax return completely finished to take us up to, to April. And it's just while I'm in that mindset, really, because yes, um, you do have to switch into that slightly different zone when you're doing tax and putting yeah, yourself through that yeah. pain and I don't really want to put myself through that pain too many times. And it's like, well, I might as well do it now, get it done. And I just feel like I've got a clean slate to, yeah. s- to start the year on. Um, That's a good plan. And, uh, and yeah, and, and other than that, it's then just, I do try and come up with goals for the year and, and a bit yeah. of a, t- a short-term to-do list of things that I want to get done in January. And then a more long-term of overall goals for the whole year, which I, I normally publish at o- over on my Small Business Toolbox channel. I haven't done that yet for this year, but I need to do that. Um, and then that that's back to business as normal then. But I try to kind mm. of focus my mind. Otherwise, I find that if, if I don't take a slight step back and give myself those like goals and a bit of a breakdown of what I need to do, yeah. once you start getting into it, you're too busy to start thinking about 
what your actual goals are for the year. Yes, and, and suddenly, if you try and make up those goals on the fly as you, as you're doing the work, uh, the, the the aim will go all over the place. You yeah, you, absolutely. you lose your focus on it completely. Yeah, what, and what about you? What uh, how, similar, not not routine? quite as uh, OCD. Uh, yeah, I try. <laughs> I, I catch up on uh, the current year's tax returns, and just I, I make sure that I've got the year to date in order. I don't actually. I leave that for wading through the sludge later in the year, but uh, I, I just make sure it's kind of in a in a an order that I can make sense of it, so I don't actually do the do the cost analysis or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like yourself, um, just just lots of admin, lots of lots of paperwork, just to try and start ourselves off on the right foot for the year. Obviously, lenders retired, so. We're trying to figure out our, our travel plans for the year as well. So we've got to, you know, we know the punctuation marks where, where we're going to be away. So we're trying to sort of work around those. So I know that I'm going to have to do whatever work I've got in and whatever videos and youtube type stuff I've got to do has to fit around that. And depending on where we're going, then they might potentially produce video content of their own. So, you know, there's that sort of longer-term planning going on for the year. And there's a bit of short-term planning as well, just to uh, pop up and see my dad. We're going up uh, in spring, sort of March time. I'm just going to pop up and see him quickly for a a flying visit uh, next week, just to say hello, because my sister's away now. My sister lives locally to him, and she's away on a a massive cruise. They're away for three and a half months. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, literally going everywhere. Right, right. I'd love to do that one day. Quite, I've never done epic. a cruise. I've, I've always... Have you... No, we, we, uh, me neither, no, no. Um, I've, I've always fancied trying it, but I've, ne- I've never done one. I've heard good things about it, and um, it, it's a good way of seeing a lot of different places. Yeah, what would bother me is the, the idea that you're on, <laughs> you're all in the same boat with all the same people, but these boats are so huge. They're like floating towns, cities almost, so... yeah. I'm fairly sure you can get away from people if you really need to. And it's literally three and a half months. Yeah, three and a half months. They they come that's back. Mad. Uh, I'd, I'd love to do that one day. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a amazing. it's a mega mega thing. Uh, they they booked one leg of it. Normally uh, they were going to fly out and pick it up in Hong Kong and do the return leg, but they got a, offered a deal on the first the out leg as well. So. They took it. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Jealous. So good stuff. Not at all jealous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, their, their routine is going to be very different. Getting used to uh, life at sea for three and a half months. What do you what do you take to wear? Well, you know, they're stopping at a lot, a lot of places. They can always shop. Yeah. Um, oh, you'd have proper motion of the ocean after that. I'd, I'll get motion of the ocean after I don't a know, day or so. About that. About that size, I don't think you even notice the ocean. I think it's kind of. Do you, do you think it's, it's so big that so huge? Yeah. So yeah, pretty pretty epic. So yeah, that's a holiday and a half. Um, so yes, anyway, uh, just bearing holidays in mind, I try and sort of have a vague idea of of what I'm aiming to do for the year in terms of you know business, in terms of where I want to be this time next year on YouTube and all those other things. And try and come up with a, a couple of things that kind of stretch me a little bit and take me into slightly different areas. So, uh, and and then what about? And we've had this on the list for quite a long time. And now our typical days, if if we ignore like January, if you're into like a normal typical day, 
I think our, yeah. our typical days aren't very typical anymore. That, that's, Not anymore. That's well, our typical days were, yeah. Maybe I mean, we I, should rewind to what our typical days used to be and then... Well, yes, OK. Our typical days used to be um, uh, fairly untypical. Of course, the, everyone's different. But typical day for me would be, depending on what I'm doing, if I'm in the workshop making stuff, then uh, Linda was up and out to work at a ridiculous o'clock. So she, she'd leave at sort of half six, quarter to seven. And then I'm up and doing, so I would usually then spend a little bit of time on my computer doing admin type things, head over to the workshop about uh, eight-ish uh, and, and get cracking on whatever I needed to do. If it was making stuff, I'd be working my way through whatever I needed, cut lists, uh, cut the dominoes, doing doing whatever needed to be done. If it was video stuff, then again, the same with that. Um, I usually take a break sort of mid-morning for one of many cups of coffee. Not anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just to get a breather, just to literally take a break. Uh, I come home for that and then go back to the workshop for a couple of hours. Uh, Usually back here for lunch. Lunch was usually just a sandwich of some sort. And uh, then back into it for the afternoon. Again, more of the same, just, just, ploughing through whatever needed to be, whatever forest of MDF needed to be cut or jointed or painted. And I would knock off typically around five-ish, sometimes just run to six, depending on what needed to be done. Uh, And then back home, uh, back then, Linda was eating at work, so she'd have a bigger meal during the middle of the day. Was I'd have a bigger meal during the evening, so we'd eat we'd eat together but separately. If you see what I mean, different meals, right? Uh, and then, well, you know, the, the evening is whatever we whatever we want to do. Sometimes it's a, sitting reading a book. Sometimes it's watching some telly. Sometimes it's it's sitting in front of a computer editing or doing whatever needs to be done. Um, and that that's the basics of it. Obviously, some days you're going out on uh, on installs, so that's a different sort of slightly more higher tempo. <laughs> Yeah, feel to it because you've got to get everything loaded up and you've got to get the, the gear out there and you do you know uh, the day's work until it's got I had on one of the installs videos that I did I had somebody uh, pop up in the comments to say well you say you charge such and such a day uh, how many hours a day do you work? You go, well, you know, <laughs> you work as few as you can get away with, but as many as you need to, really. Yeah, don't you? You know, well, that, it's, it swings it's, and roundabouts you, As there, long as it, it takes to get the to get the work done, yeah. yeah. Um, mm. I mean, it's always something that comes up, especially because I've done quite a lot of videos all surrounding hourly rates and all that sort of thing. And yeah. I still get people saying, oh, there's no way I could charge £30 an hour. I'd lose all my customers. And it's like, have have you tried? Mm. <laughs> you know, have have you actually tried that? And by the way, how much did you make last year? And then, yeah. and then uh, it it goes deathly silent. Yes, and uh, and I think it's just going off on a complete tangent as per usual. It's it frustrates me immensely when I see very very talented people making so little money. Mm. Um, I was watching a very interesting video about the um, economics of Sweden the other day, and obviously Sweden's um, uh, very high income, very high taxes Mm. uh, type of country. Um, But even they were talking about labourers in factories earning 70,000 euros a year Mm. as as a base 
wage. And obviously that's kind of your extreme uh, example because they've managed to formulate uh, I, I wouldn't like to say it's a perfect economy because I, I, I a lot of these con- economies will work very well in one country and they might not work so well in an- another country. Like mm. I think we were talking about like the economics of Norway and yeah. how, yeah, it's great if you've got like uh, massive oil reserves yes. to, to fall back on and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but basically the, the quality of income is um, among the best in the world, in Sweden, mm. but the equality of wealth distribution is amongst the worst in the world. So wages are very even, but in terms of wealth accumulation, it's very unequal. There's some very, very, yeah. very rich people in Sweden, but it, people don't care because even the poor people are earning 70,000 euros a year. Um. So it does when when you have that sort of stuff at your back at the back of your mind, and you see highly experienced carpenters going out there and maybe making less than fifteen, less than minimum wage, basically. If yeah. if they're going out there and earning, you know, the figure that goes on your tax return, that profit figure, that that's what you made, that's what you actually made. Ignore your turnover and all that sort of thing. Mm. That profit figure on your tax return is what what you've made. And if that's below fifteen grand a year, then uh, guess what? You would be better off just working at McDonald's. Mm. And it 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 frustrates me when I see very very good businesses um, charging so little. And yeah, I still get it on a regular basis. Uh, people saying that they could never charge yeah. thirty pound an hour, blah blah blah. And then how does that equate to day rates? And mm. and and yeah, you don't necessarily multiply up. 30 times 8 and say that's going to be your day rate. I mean, yeah, there's definitely parts of the country where um, charging £240 a, a day or whatever as your your base wage isn't going to work. I mm. totally get that. That's fine. But if you're guaranteed £240 a day, every day, then you're going to be doing all right out of that. But it doesn't work like that. You've have days where you can't charge a penny for anything. Yeah. You have days where you spend the entire day just travelling around picking up materials. Yep. And, and, and and as we've said, there's only 250 working days in the year and you don't want to be basing your projections on that. You know, I, I base mine on 200 working days a year. I did base mine on 200 working days a year. I've, I've always said if you can work at about 80% of the potential working days, you're doing pretty well. Mm. Um, because you, you're not going to work at a hundred percent because it just doesn't work like that. It, it just, you know, had, unless you're subcontracting, because then you've got a guaranteed stream of work over yeah. six months or twelve months or whatever. That's different, and that's a, I've always said I'm not talking about what you would charge for subcontracting. That's a totally different yeah. ball game. But what I'm talking about is if you're a self-employed one-man band business owner, or not necessarily one-man band, but if you're as a, and that's the same. My window cleaner charges £120 an hour. Mm. He charges 20 quid to do our windows, and it takes um, 10 minutes. So there you have it. Well, that's, that's only 120 quid an hour if you can get to the next the next job <laughs> instantly, yeah, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> but, but, that, but that's the same for us. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, yeah. It works in the same way for us. You know, you, you yeah. charge a rate that 
balances out over time to bring in a reasonable income. Um, and if you're going out and charging an hourly rate to people and doing jobs by the hour, then if you're only charging £30 an hour, I don't believe you, you can come home with a reasonable wage. I don't think yeah. you're going to be coming home with much above minimum wage. But mm. I'm waiting for someone to prove me wrong on that, and no one has. So, And I've asked people twice in two separate quite popular videos now, send me an, uh, a redacted and anonymized copy of your accounts. It doesn't need to be to take out all personal information. Yeah. Send it from an anonymous email address. All I want to see is a breakdown of how much you've made turnover, what your expenses were, and what your final take-home profit was. Um, if you charge on an hourly rate at, at £30 an hour or less, please prove me wrong that that is a viable business model mm. um, because I, I don't think it is. I've been there. I've, I've yeah. tried. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't disagree. Uh, uh, um, how did we get on to that? So getting, getting back to typical days, how do yours go? <laughs> uh my typical day has changed so much over the years because if we rewind to two years ago, I was doing the school run. So my typical day would be getting up with the kids, seven o'clock-ish, um, helping get the kids ready. My wife would go off to work for eight-ish. Um, and then uh, I would take my daughter to school um, at nine-ish. So I wouldn't be back until half nine-ish. And then I could actually start my day and start doing some work. Mm. And then uh, by three-ish, I would be picking her up again. So by two, I would have to be winding down what I'm doing on customer sites, ready to get home, get changed, do the school run. And then sometimes I could get back in the workshop after that. Right. And that was a nightmare. Mm. I, I, really, I mean, don't get it wrong, I loved the whole dropping my kids off thing i would never have missed that for the world and it's the whole point of being self-employed is that you don't miss exactly. on stuff like this but when all you want to do is kind of get into a job if you can't start until 10 o'clock and you've got to start wrapping things up by two o'clock yeah it's um, you've got to be very very productive in those four hours yeah you? yeah and sometimes yeah. you know you'd be right in the middle of something that's like uh, you know you're right in the middle of fitting a cabinet into a wall or something like that and it's yeah I need to go. It's like uh, you're leaving it until the absolute last possible second. It's like I've got. To, I can't be late picking my daughter up for school. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, look, sorry, I, I need to go. I can come back later and finish it off, or I can just continue tomorrow, whatever you prefer. Um. So that was problematic, and then that mm. kind of eased itself down to me only having to do drop offs. Um. So I would only lose like the the morning bit, but I would yeah. have kind of the the whole afternoon. And now I'm at the point where I don't have to do any of the school runs because they're, yeah. they're, um, they're, they're old enough to kind of look after themselves-ish. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, But now I'm not doing the customer work anymore, so it, it's another different, uh, a different typical day. Mm. I'm still getting up seven-ish, and sometimes I can get behind the computer from eight-ish. Mm. Sometimes I'm... I hang around until the kids have actually gone and and well, well. To be fair, they leave now at about eight o'clock because my son gets a bus and uh, my daughter gets dropped off by my wife on the way to school because uh, she's now in middle school, right? And uh, everything just 
works a lot better now. Um, so I'm gradually starting to get more and more of my life back. Um, but as I say, I'm not complaining about those early days at all because it, it's such yeah. a short space of time. But at the time, um, it's hard work, isn't it? <laughs> it really it is. makes planning anything very difficult. Uh, yeah, so that that was kind of my typical day. And then in between was much the same as yourself. You know, you're, you're either in the workshop or on a customer site, interspersed with trying to get some food, doing school drop-offs and pickups and all that sort of thing, and then sometimes going back into the workshop later on. Um, it was pretty rare I'd be in the workshop late at night. Are you, you, yeah. How often are you in late? Uh, uh, very rarely. Uh, there were a couple of occasions where I just needed to do something. It's uh, just, you know, something. And it is mostly down to bad planning uh, or, or, you know, something's gone wrong that something needs to be done later. And typically it was painting. You need to get a coat of paint on something or you need to get something glued up and clamp so it can set or dry overnight. Uh, and I'm fortunate that it is a commercial space, so I, you know, I can make as much noise there within reason uh, as I like. But uh, it it's, wasn't something I particularly wanted to do. Occasionally... I'd still be there at sort of seven-ish, and a couple of times I'd done kind of half eleven, midnight-ish, just because stuff needed to get done. Uh, uh, but, you know, you do what you need to, and you try and avoid it <laughs> as much yeah. as possible. <laughs> try and avoid those sort of late ones anyway. I don't mind going in early, but uh, I find I find it, if the job creeps into the evening, it sort of bugs me a little bit, so... I try and just organise the day more, more like a, a normal working day, like normal people have. They go to work and then they come home again and they leave work behind. And coming back to yeah. what you were saying about what the length of a typical working day is, it's like, yeah, the might you might only be on site for five or six hours, but your day could potentially easily be running over eight or nine, ten hours. Um, yeah, easily. Yeah. Uh, when you take everything into account from start to finish, you know, so. And this is what people forget about. They're seeing kind of your your chargeable time and they're thinking, oh, I wish I could do that. And they say, yeah, but you're not seeing all the non-chargeable time outside of that. And that's what your hourly rate has to, yeah. to cater for. Yeah. I mean, just, just going out on an install, you, you, you've got to wrap everything up, whatever it is, if it's veneered or painted, it needs to be protected. For the, for the journey in the van, whether you're putting it in the back of your own van or if, if you're using a third-party van like I usually do for, for that, or usually did for that sort of thing. So that's got to, that can take at least half a day, just just getting everything wrapped up in moving blankets or dust sheets or bubble wrap or whatever you use. Uh, you've got to get your install kit, all your gear together, and whether that's a question of just grabbing the the bags with the particular stickers on that you know always go, or whether you have a completely separate kit, you've still got to corral that and you've got to get it ready to go. You've got to load all that up into your own van and you've got to load up all the the uh, the, the materials, the, the you know, the, whatever you've made, either into your own van or into the courier van. And then you can start getting it onto, onto site, which, you know, you don't want to be late for. So there's at least you know, a couple of hours in the morning of the install that you've got to spend just organising stuff, just getting stuff Absolutely. ready. Absolutely. And and at least uh, for me anyway, for sort of the big fitted wardrobes and stuff, it was a half day just getting all, all the carcasses and all the shelves and things wrapped. 
the last last big one I did. So yeah, it's you know it, it, there's lots of lots of work that goes on that you won't see as a, a line item on the invoice, but it's it's covered within the fees exactly. that you charge. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for example, if you've got a job that you know is going to take four days for an install, and you're starting on the Monday. And then you know that you've got another install that's going to take another four days after that. You're not going to ch- start your next install on the Friday, are you? No way. Just because you happen to have the Friday free, because you're going to, it's going to take you half a day just to get the workshop sorted out and cleared, ready for the next job anyway. You're probably going to have to go out and get materials and, and all sorts. So that even though you might only be charging for four days, um, they'll there'll be that fifth day that you just can't do anything with. Um, you probably wouldn't even have time to do anything with it anyway, but you wouldn't want to book anything in just in case, you know, something goes wrong in the job and you've got a bit of a contingency. Well, you need anyway. a run-on day for the, for the install yeah. or something. Or- and, then, um, and then, as I say, if you've got another big job running on, you're, you're going to start that on the Monday. You're not going to start that on mm-hmm. the Friday and leave someone over the weekend with a non-functional room because you've yeah, started exactly. ripping the house to shreds, you're going to start. You're never going to leave someone's house um, unless it's an empty property or something like that. But generally, you're not going to start a big job on a Friday and then leave it half mm. done over the weekend. That that's just yeah. awful. You're not even going to want to get your gear in there, are no, you? Because exactly. you know, <laughs> what if it goes walkies over the yeah. weekend? Then you're really yeah. stuck. And often, when you come back from a big install. You could do with a day just to catch your breath and sort the gear out because when you when you're packing up to leave, you know you don't pack it away quite. Or you probably do actually. But I don't pack it away as tidily as I pack it when I take it there because yeah, there's just stuff everywhere. Uh, and, and sometimes over the course of an install, you take more bits of gear in. And I've had jobs earlier on where I was sort of adding to the to the tools and stuff. Uh, while you're working, when it comes to taking everything out, you can almost can't fit it in the van because you've got so much yeah, stuff I've, with, I've had that. Uh, with you there. I've had that. But, yeah. uh, well, there you go. There, there's a, a quick overview of, of our typical days, <laughs> which aren't very typical. No, well, we should we should do a typical day for, for these days as well, but not in this podcast, I don't think. Yeah, we'll maybe save that for the next one. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah. So on that note, t- time's up for this episode, but um, it, it's been a pleasure once again. We would like to, as always, thank all of our amazing Patreon supporters for keeping this show on the road. A special thank you to Ben Campbell at the Colonel Collective, Phil Wilson, Tim Bowers, Chris Davison, Carlos Luciano Moraes, David Chisnell, Jay Wong, Stephen Wardley, James Kilala Ringwood, and Jamie. Uh, and I'd like to thank John Fogarty, Pascal from MK Creations, Peace of Timber, Andy Sims, Paul Gardner, Chris Thistledew, Andrew Monell. Nick Makes, O'Donoghue, and Randall Davis. Uh, I want to say thank you very much for listening and supporting us on Patreon. Uh, if you've got the time and the energy, please leave us a five-star review on uh, iTunes. Uh, leaving a review like that really does help to push us further up the stack. And iTunes, of course, is the big dog in the world of podcasts. Uh, you can follow us both. Well, where, where can people follow you, Andy? You can find me, Gosforth Handyman, on YouTube, uh, Gosforth Handyman on Instagram, and Gosforth Andy on Twitter. And where do we find you, Peter? I am at uh, 10 Minute Workshop on Instagram, at 10 Minute Shop on Twitter, and uh, 10 Minute Workshop on YouTube. Uh, you can uh, post feedback to us at Measuring Up pc on twitter or instagram at measuring up podcast or get in touch via the contact form on measuring up or email us directly 
uh, to the show email at contact at measuringuppodcast.com. But that's it, I think, for this week. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. See you next time. Thank you.